Thank you for coming here today. It's me, Linda Sage, on Learning From Life. One thing I can promise you, there'll be people to meet over the airways here you'll never forget. Some, as long as you live. Let's just say, most have had what could be termed as an interesting life. It's not what happens, it's how you deal with it. And one line from any of them could change the way you deal with things forever. There'd be landing from all parts of the planet, all ages, backgrounds and experiences. Telling the truth of how it was and how they manage things may just help you miss a rock or two along your road too. Hi and very warm welcome. We are back again with another edition of Learning From Life. And yes, I know I say every week and it is so true because my guests are all amazing. And today is no different. I have a fabulous gentleman with me and he is a medical doctor. But uh, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim also known as the Third Eye Doctor. So uh, he's very experienced in healthcare, having a background in um, ophthalmic care. And I'm always interested in people, how they get to be in there. So we will be listening to that. So, uh, Hayda, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Linda. Thank you so much for um, having me on your show today. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it because you've got a show too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I guess... um, you know, I like to go to parties and uh, I've always been interested in, um, I think, eavesdropping. <laughs> you know, I like to know what's going on. And I thought to myself, do you know what, you know, let me do a show as well, because then I've got an excuse to have people on my show and, you know, I can ask questions and we can have a bit of a nice discussion. And for some reason, people like listening into discussions. You know, that's something that I didn't realise you know, has has been quite a, a phenomenon now in our in our kind of current culture. I think it's probably you know a company for people as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I guess um, we like to do many things at the same time, and you know, this is uh, an excuse to kind of uh, listen as well as do the other boring chores. So hopefully, we can uh, bring some entertainment to a lot of people today. And I'm just going to say, because your your podcast is uh, Surgical Spirit, so that, that sounds interesting as well. We will come back to that one. <laughs> so, Hayden, uh, just tell us something about you, because as a doctor, very often people see you as as a service. They'd sort of walk up in and speak to you, and they'd be odd for floating and telling you all these sort of things, and they don't really know who the you know. They don't even look at you sometimes, perhaps as a, as a person, that you're just there, that you, you've got to solve a problem for them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it is a bit of a difficult one. And, you know, I guess they treat us like um, like a robot or a machine or, you know, a, a bit like your smartphone, really. And you know, if you press this button, you get the answers. And I think um, I, I kind of realized, realized that really quickly because I essentially burnt out um as a as a junior doctor um and i realized that actually um bringing the humanness into um into the the interaction or the discussion or the or the uh, therapeutic relationship uh, people realize that yeah you're you're speaking to another human being um and you know we're all kind of you know a bit wacky and a bit flawed and you know we're we're good at making certain you know therapeutic diagnoses and treatments and so on 
but at the end of the day, you know, it's another human being. And um, yeah, I mean, it's you only really realize it when you become a patient yourself. So when I became a patient, um, I had an eye problem myself, actually. And um, I went and saw um, a colleague of mine. Um, so that was really interesting because um, I saw him change from my my sort of friend and colleague to the actual eye doctor. Um, you know, I sort of saw that for for a few seconds, and then I said, "Well, you know, it's <laughs> it's all right. It's me. You know, you don't have to sort of put on that you know kind of uh, robot like um, um, sort of persona." Um, so yeah, but. Um, it, it it depends. I mean, my my kind of personal style is fairly laid back and you know sort of fairly uh, easy to approach and sort of easy to answer and you know um, you know that kind of thing. Uh, but you know, it's different for different people and different for different doctors. And and um, um, I guess being surgeons, uh, we do tend to do things a bit quickly, maybe with with patients you know um because we do most of our concentrating you know behind the mask and behind the uh the microscope um but now we're all wearing masks aren't we you know now we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then, and often i think we sometimes we surgeons that a, a lot of time they don't spend an awful lot of time with their awake patients that they usually spend the majority of their time when their patient is already anesthetized and they and they're going in to do their work really yeah yeah true true i mean you know us um in the ophthalmic field you know most of our patients are awake anyway because uh, mm. 95% of our operations are done under local anesthetic so you know we tend to be talking to our patients while we're operating on their eyes and um so i i think as as ophthalmologists we're kind of a bit different from your run of the mill surgeons um you know who like their patients to be asleep and uh, not troublesome and you know not cause any aggro um but i think um i mean i've always wanted to be a surgeon um and i guess that's because you know i don't want the aggro i just do the thing and leave um but then i realized that actually i'm better with with a, an awake patient rather than a sleeping patient so um i've been doing less and less surgery and more and more kind of talking and you know all of this what they call soft skills stuff um, i find that really fascinating and and really interesting and and it's sort of managing all these you know expectations and fears and needs and wants and you know all of these sort of human human characteristics which i find really fascinating and i think you know having worked in the health sector uh, for a long time you know a good a good doctor or a good healthcare professional someone that can really really relate to um, to other human beings um, during their times of uh, great need and crisis. And I mean, you, you've been in the healthcare since I think you, 1999, so that's uh, 20, 22 years. So it's a it's a long career, and you must have seen so many changes in that time to um, the way of uh, treating patients. I mean, even coming up through medical school now must seem a world apart from when you were learning. Yeah, yeah, de definitely. And I think um, the biggest thing that I've realized, you know, over the years is, is, you know, really the lack of um, 
um, sort of like a family structure, you know, within the healthcare sector, um, where you know people come together, people have a kind of um, an identifiable hierarchical structure as well, um, which is beneficial because you know in times of crisis you do need a a figurehead or a leader that you can go to uh, and and can steady the uh, the ship. Um, and you know, just just long term relationships. I think long term relationships is really important in uh, in the healthcare th- uh, sector. And you know, maybe that is, um, yeah, go- going in the wrong direction. I think um, you know this sort of thing that um, allows us to to um, develop within a relationship and also um, allow us to make mistakes and you know. Uh, do things wrong, wrong, wrongly, and, <laughs> and and sort of stupidly, and and you know get things uh, not so right and 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 deficient, and and people are still on our side and say, well, that's okay, you know, I've been there before, and you know, you know, have that kind of um, long-term stability that that uh, you know we used to have before. Um, I mean, on the flip side, you know, if mistakes do happen, then you know, I'd hope that um, uh, you know it's it, it's acknowledged uh, quicker and and um, more more openly, and um, you know, there's sort of increased transparency. I think that has happened uh, since before, which is which is on a positive side, but I think that's come at you know at the detriment of of uh, you know lack of long term uh, relationships. I mean, that's what I've seen over the last 20 years, maybe. Yeah, and I, and I think it's a very valid point that you put, put in there, because, I mean, uh, doctors are human, and surgeons particularly, you know, through my experience work, working with them, when they go into medical school, you, you've got mates and you've got people, your peers that you can offload with, but as you go up the scale, the jobs are fewer, and the people that were your friends were now are now your competitors for positions, and so being able to confide in each other becomes quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, you've hit the nail on the head there, and um, you know when you're when when you are competing, you know the last thing you want to do is is uh, talk about your vulnerabilities to your uh, to your peer group. Um, is that changing? Probably not. Um, what did I do when I was going through a difficulty? Did I go to my peer group? Um, I mean, I guess I developed friendships quite quickly, and I think that's sort of one of my strengths um, over the years. Um, so, are we making more friends? Probably not. I, I, I don't think we are creating those, you know, really deep friendship connections um, at work um, or in sort of society in general. and. Um, you know, I think that's a shame, really. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I was having difficulty, it was um, it wasn't really work colleagues. It was more about you know my sort of wider community and um, you know coming from a, a sort of a cultural and a and a faith based community. You know, it was easier because I can always sort of go back there. But then the understanding wouldn't be there. Um, you know, because you do need, you know, some level of understanding um, within the healthcare sector to understand, you know, what I'm going through. And, you know, there is that um, similar um, sort of validation process. 
Um, but you know, ha having said that, being Iraqi, you know, most you know, there's a lot of Iraqi doctors out there, and you know, coming from a society where, you know, if you're a doctor, you're kind of, you know, you're a success. <laughs> so, um, you know, there was a lot of Iraqi doctors out there, and and to be honest with you, when I was having trouble, I did, you know, the one mentor that sort of helped me through my stress and burnout was. Um, an Iraqi doctor working in the NHS in, in London. Very nice man. Uh, he was a consultant rheumatologist. Um, he was great. He was great, you know, because he understood what I was going through being a medic himself. And also at the same time, he knew the, you know, the nuance of, of being a, you know, Iraqi male, you know, in the UK, which has a particular flavor to things. Um, you know, we all have different flavors, don't we? Linda, you know that, that's just yes, the way yes. we are. Yeah, and and just going back to the yeah, sort of younger days, what made you go to uh, medical training? Yeah, I mean, my dad's um, my dad uh, is a biologist, so uh, you know the way the way it goes in Iraqi society is all Iraqi parents want their children to be doctors. Um, you know, that's the kind of uh, ballpark figure um, or position in society. If they can't get that, then it's dentistry. If they can't get into dentistry, it's lawyer. And if it's not lawyer, it's kind of, you know, whatever you enjoy doing. So that's the kind of traditional um, route for, for um, the Iraqi children. And my dad couldn't get into medical school. He had his, you know, he had his reasons. So he became a biologist, uh, a zoologist, and he was teaching university in Iraq. And then he got the opportunity to do a, um, a PhD in the UK. So um, we left in the late 70s and, and came to the UK uh, from Iraq. Um, so, you know, I guess I've always been, um, yeah, given this, this narrative and this story that, you know, you're going to be a doctor and this is the best thing for you. Plus, um, you know, coming from a traditional sort of um, religious background as well, you know, service is really important, service to humanity. And um, so that was always uh, in my mind. And I guess when I came to the UK, um, uh, in a sense, I was sort of, uh, I was going to say fed this narrative that, you know, You've got to serve your country back home. Um, so that was kind of my overarching story, really. It's like doctor serving humanity, particularly uh, for the people back home. And then, you know, we had the Iran-Iraq war in the 80s, uh, which was really devastating. And uh, we lost lots of family members and, and um, uncles um, and grandparents during the war. So um, we couldn't go back. Um, but that was always the dream for me was, you know, to become a doctor, become qualified, uh, train in a, in a, in a subspecialty, um, and then go back home and, um, uh, help, help the people, uh, back home. So it was a very, um, a very strong storyboard for me, um, yeah. to do so, that. So the, the, there was quite a bit of cultural pressure, you know, really from a young age to to this is the path that you will follow oh yes oh yes and you know from a from an eastern um uh, household you know parents know best and you know 
all you had to do was was get straight A's, you know. <laughs> you know they <laughs> no pressure, <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. Um, but you know you had this kind of um, clash, really. You know, clash of cultures because you got the Eastern culture and sort of you know the Muslim um, religious culture, plus you got the Western liberal freedom culture. So you know, I definitely had that sort of internal clash of um, tradition and also new age of um you know it's essentially delayed gratification and you know instant uh, satisfaction so um you know it was uh, it was a good battle but i guess we all go through these different battles um you know this sort of constant conflict in inside and how do we resolve it and you know how do we kind of keep keep progressing while while we uh deal with these internal conflicts so you know plus uh, you know, you are foreign. You're not English. You have a sort of a funny name, and and um, okay, I mean, you know, uh, you know, I am fairly fair skinned so um, you know, I I didn't get a lot of um, uh, racist taunts because of my skin color, but you know, because of the name and and um, you know what that meant, um, I I definitely experienced it in the eighties, but you know that allowed you to to um, to rely on yourself a lot more and it, and it was a drive really to, to succeed and um, essentially we had to start from square one because um, when my dad got his PhD um, he decided to work in politics actually um, rather than teach uh, as a zoologist. Um, the Al-Hakim family is a well-known political family as well so you know as you know religion and politics do mix a lot um, so he worked for an opposition leader to the regime in uh, Iraq and um, uh, he was he was actually assassinated in 1988 uh, well, well, I was just gonna say yeah. that must be very dangerous it, yeah it was very dangerous it was very dangerous so he was his PA my dad was his PA uh, and he was in Sudan in, in Khartoum in 88 and his boss got assassinated. My dad got shot and, and injured. And um, obviously that was a big, uh, you know, traumatic event for him. And then he became, you know, quite uh, psychologically unwell. And then he went on um, uh, psychiatric medication. So I kind of experienced, you know, the big lows and um, of of uh, of that um so that was a very strong kind of internal narrative for me you know to kind of pull your socks up and so yeah we 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 we, we started from scratch really um and it's difficult when you're in the low socio-economic classes you know we're on benefits and everything and and i went to a, a really crap uh, comprehensive school where there was a lot of school violence and uh, kids were bringing knives and, and screwdrivers and sort of stuff like that and and but but I didn't let that um, affect me so I'd I'd always do my homework and stay away from the troublemakers you know I mean they'll they'll give you trouble you know you'll get beaten up and bullied and sort of what have you. Um, but you've just got to put the blinkers on, isn't it? You know, it's a bit like the racehorse. You know, you just put the blinkers on. You've got your target. Um, and I remember when I got my GCSE results, 
you know I went to um you know plus this kind of religious thing you can't meet girls and stuff like that so I went to a boys school um which was you know fun <laughs> you know all these aggressive boys and low socioeconomic class and yeah I mean it was charged it was very charged your your mental capacity as a young man must have really really been extensive because all of these issues one on one are, are big issues but yeah. then when you put them all on a young person's plate to to be worked through and the inconsistencies and the self doubt that you have as a, a teenager as well it must have been a huge sort of yeah maze to work your way through yeah well i guess i mean looking back you you'd say you know you know how the hell did you do it but i guess you know faith was a big thing for me you know looking back mm -hmm. you know having that belief um of something larger than yourself something um more than just your your ego so to speak uh, for a greater cause you know that was a great that was a great motivating factor um and i guess i mean it's not really delusional but you know having something bigger than yourself which you can't attain today but is always possible tomorrow or the day after you know does does give you that impetus and does give you that energy uh to move forward and and to keep going and um i guess i mean you know i mean i had my own uh, you know survival mechanisms and that tended to be food so you know i did get overweight and i used to love having food and and um you know sort of binging on on lots of tv shows so that was my kind of outlet um but no i mean i think having um a strong mother figure you know she was you know instrumental in you know keeping me uh, on the straight and narrow um she sort of knew everything about whatever i did and you know she had quite good emotional acumen sort of thing she could read between the lines <laughs> you know very quickly so you know i had a very very close um relationship with my mum um so that allowed me you know to kind of develop my you know feminine side really and 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 be comfortable with with the emotional side of things um but you know i mean it was difficult you know particularly when when my dad uh, went through a lot of mental difficulty um but really i mean it was it was more the kind of the social discrepancy uh and the class discrepancy which i found you know to be you know the biggest uh stumbling block so when i when i got my a level results and i i passed and i got into medical school and i went to uh barts in london a medical school which is you know a fairly prestigious yeah. medical school and it's got lots of i mean you know most of them are grammar and and sort of eton graduates and sort of what have you so i did notice a big uh class discrepancy there and you know i mean i was young at the time you know that's the thing that really um that sort of bugs me now i think you know if i prefer the american system where you you know if you have a you know you've got to have an undergraduate degree first before you go into medical school i think that's you know that has some credibility and 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 some utility that you do need some maturity before you start medical uh training um mm -hmm. i hope they do you know look into that here because they do actually you know throw these young men and women into the uh into the lines then a bit too quickly 
Um, and that's what happened to me, really. I mean, I went through medical school, and you know, when I started medicine, I was just probably in, in, in panic mode all the time because you're dealing with, you know, really serious stuff. Okay, they do train you. I mean, theoretically, you kind of know the stuff, but it's different when, when you experience it in the flesh. You know, and I think, uh, I mean, it, it's better now. Um, um, I mean, we were the first medical school to have clinical contact with patients in the first year. So this was back in the 90s. Um, and it's much better now. Um, and I think, you know, there needs to be more and more shift towards um, apprenticeship-like uh, um, training and you know, they are going to hopefully introduce apprenticeships um, in order to allow uh, people to become doctors. And I think, you know, I think that's an absolutely right way to go. It's interesting you say this because um, obviously before they were they were sort of really categorised of the like the doctors, the nurses and the in boxes sort of thing whereas now within the medical profession there's so many choices so there's so many possibilities of you know different ways of coming in and you know progressing through the lines as well you know it's it's becoming a really more open idea that other people can get there because the thought of somebody from the background that you're talking about it's not really in their thought plan that medical school would be a, a top priority yeah de definitely you know and that's showing with with um, uh, medical student retention junior doctor retention doctor re uh, retention in in general um, and I think that's a kind of backlash from you know the early 80s and sort of 90s of the kind of doctor that they recruited which is sort of uh, Obviously, I'm generalising here, but you know, I'm just trying to give a, a picture to sort of people out there who are who are, are non-doctors. Um, you know, coming from comfortable comfortable backgrounds, um, not having gone through you know very little life uh, adversities and struggles, um, and now you know we do need a, a a very resilient workforce to work within the healthcare sector, and I think you know this needs to be serious. You know that. We need to look at people who are resilient, people who have some um, strong mental fortitude, um, in order to, to deal with with you know really serious life and death situations, um, and I think uh, that needs to be seriously thought about in in, in terms of um, healthcare recruitment. Um, you know, which is why a lot of really successful service providers and service provision uh, uh, professionals within the health healthcare sector do come from uh, underprivileged and um, ethnic minorities and you know have paths of, uh, of great adversity and you know I think uh, uh, this should be celebrated and this should be concentrated and and um, incorporated into the sort of the general um, recruitment policy of, um, of the UK society. Do you think also, because I know that there's still really no uh, 
equipping the the young people as they go in and as you say you know you can talk through a life and death scenario you can talk through all sorts of things but until you're actually in it you don't know how you're going to react to it but there's not much uh, self-care or self-awareness uh, actually within the medical training yeah i mean it, it's it's got to start young you know it's got to start young it's got to start in in uh, early in school and we've got to take away the um, the rosy glasses um, and say, look, you know, this is the situation. This is how harsh it is. This is a reality. You know, there's no Lamborghinis. There's no Porsches. There's no uh, million followers on social media. There's no, you know, no, not, none of this thing that, that sort of the general uh, media portrays to be uh, a success. You know, it is blood and guts and, you know, a good old grind. And um some people love it because it is part of their personal narrative you know that's what they've you know you know they've turned into you know this sort of grafter of of um of uh, reducing suffering for other human beings and that's fine because because it talks to them um so i think we've got to be honest about um uh, what we have uh, but 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 look i mean you know medicine is not all you know you know it is it is great and you know there's lots of <laughs> small patches of uh of uh you know uh lovely million pound houses and lamborghinis and ferraris you know that that can still happen Dr. as well Phil. yeah 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 you know that can still happen as well um absolutely so um but you know uh generally speaking it's not a glamorous job to be honest with you you know um we get a few perks you know, we get a few nice uh, uh, sandwiches and a few cakes here and there. Um, obviously, I'm downplaying the whole thing. <laughs> 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 but I, th I think it's a, it's a great point because you know, sort of my experience with, with within the mental health background, and I've worked with an awful lot of people that are within care in in all sorts of fields. But there's already seems to be a propensity of people that go into care that are already people pleasers. So I, I very much agree with you that this self-awareness and this self-belief and this self-care needs to start at a really early age that it's okay to care for yourself yeah. as yeah. much as you care for Look, others. Look, I mean, you know, people please is great because it's great for the patient. You know, the patient gets a great deal from a, from a, um, a healthcare professional who's a people pleaser. It, it, absolutely lovely. Um, but it's not sustainable, <laughs> you know, within the system. I mean, I was yeah. a total people pleaser and um, I got that from my mum, who's like a total person pleaser. Um, but I just got burnt out so quickly. Um, it was ridiculous. And, you know, I realised that, oh, my God, you know, I do need to find me again rather than doing it for other people. And it, it was horrible, to be honest with you, because it because it means you have to acknowledge and accept all of your flaws and all of your you know your malevolent properties and you know your misdemeanors and all of the horrible things that that you have inside and and you know try and incorporate it into your whole self and 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 make yourself something that's you know that's reasonably good uh, as a human being and and um which means you know you've got to um say no to people and and you know create conflict with other people um so yeah that was my kind of difficult time when i realized that actually i'm not you know uh, i need to do other things apart from 
doing surgery and and uh, helping people's eyes, you know, eyesight and and what have you. And um, yeah, then I realised that yeah, I've got other things that I can do, and I enjoy it just as much, and and I'm just as good. Uh, and 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 talking is one of them, apparently. always good to do yeah 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 talking's great for sure when did you decide in sort of in your medical careers because obviously as you're going through and you're training you go in all different departments while uh, while you're learning Uh, so what drew you to you know the subject of eyes well i mean uh, i think sort of surgery was like the main thing because i guess my ego was the size of saturn when i was fairly young and 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 then it just keep growing and growing and um then i did um um a stint in neurosurgery um and i thought to myself no way am i doing neurosurgery you know <laughs> standing on my you know on my feet for 12 hours a day and um and I, and and i started ticking off the things that i didn't want to do so i was like mm, no i can't see myself doing this for the rest of my life um and eventually I think there was nothing left. Um, yeah, there was nothing left. And then I sort of realised, well, well, actually, I don't want to spend any time in hospital. And I think I ended up with um, thinking about doing pathology. Um, so that was how bad it was. Um, you know, that's how disillusioned I was, you know, with the whole medical system. You know, coming mm-hmm. from an Eastern background and sort of a religious background, you think about healing a lot. Um and with the current Western system, healing is probably not not the first thing they think about. You know, they think about no. drugs and protocols and procedures and and uh, pathways. Um, and for some reason, I think um, I, I don't know what happened, but I got an interview in ophthalmology, um, and I did well in the interview, and I had no experience in ophthalmology whatsoever, so it wasn't on my radar. Um, and I got the job, and I started it, and. It was okay because I didn't spend much time on the wards um, or inside the hospital, and um, there was some surgery there and 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 some medicine. Um, so yeah, it was by accident, really, you know, uh, totally by accident. And then I've kind of grown to, you know, I keep going to the analogy of family. You know, you you sort of start off not liking your family and hating your family, and then after a bit, you're kind of, oh, do you know what? They're okay, actually. <laughs> They're not too bad, actually. You know, if I kind of change my mindset and look at the, you know, the good side to things, and you know, what, try and understand why they do what they do, you know, you become much more understanding. And so I've kind of, yeah, I've I've sort of fall back in love with 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 ophthalmology and sort of medicine, and yeah, I mean, you just gotta kind of hang in there really and sort of keep going I guess I'm just going to pick your brains here a little bit before we sort of change, change subjects a bit um, obviously there's still even in this day and age in the 21st century female surgeons are really really low, low in number uh, against males yeah. um, do you have any sort of particular thoughts on this? I, I mean generally speaking yes but I mean if you look at ophthalmology for example there's more uh, female surgeons than than male surgeons. So, uh, I mean, it depends on the specialty. Um, Ophthalmology and um, um, paediatrics are the, are yeah, the highest I mean, the women. Yeah, I mean, pa- pa- paediatrics is a non-surgical specialty. But, 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 but in terms of surgical specialty, you know, 
you've got to decide you see you know what what is it is it is it family or is it um or is it your career um you know yeah. we're quite lucky being male we can just you know we don't have to do much with with a family just just give them a bit of uh, money and you know uh, uh, set boundaries for the for the kids and that's it so <laughs> you know we we get a good deal um but you know for the super women out there um yeah, yeah um it's all on them so um it's a difficult one um so yeah uh, i don't know the answers to that un- unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> but we, you've talked quite a bit of like your spiritual side, and I know that you fulfilled your 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 promise as well. That you went back to Iraq and you actually did a lot of work for for people there before you came back to the UK as well. Yeah, yeah, that that's right. I mean, it was it was quite uh, quite an adventure to be honest. Um, you know, that's why I wrote my book because you know I had so many stories, and so um, yeah, I went back in two thousand and four. Um, um, I was working in in London at the time, and then uh, and you know it was a war zone, uh, you know, for God's sake. Um, so yeah, lots of dead bodies and bombs and guns and you know. Luckily, I didn't get yeah. I wasn't you know. I didn't lose an arm or a leg or anything like that. But yeah, you know, it was amazing. Um, it broadened my horizon. And it allowed me to sort of understand that there's so many opportunities out there. You know, sometimes we can feel stuck that, you know, this is the only path for us. But 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 really, if you just sort of step out of that path and, you know, just take a different trajectory, you know, you realise that you know there's so much potential out there for you to uh, to grasp. So yeah, I mean, I was I was since 2004, I was going back to Iraq every six months and uh doing surgery i set up a charity here in the uk called al hassan foundation and we got funding from the uk government from the us government from the us army um so yeah it was a great adventure um but i still burnt out um because i was you know doing more for other people uh and neglecting myself and you know le- neglecting uh, what i what i truly enjoy and you know i mean i realized uh, you know living in the east is different from living in the west and i realized that i was more more of a uh, uh an anglophile than than uh an iraqi uh surviving in iraq and you know i mean i was out there um i mean i lived there continuously for uh, for nearly 3 years uh, and that was an eye opener you know, because there's no electricity, and you know, you got to deal with the locals and tribes, and I mean, it was it, it was interesting. You know, sort of treating a patient, you've got to know which tribe they're from, and and you know, their sort of society status, and you know, because that has implications. You know, if you don't do a good operation, you're kind of done for. Um, so yeah, all these kind of different uh, factors in delivering healthcare. Um, um, so that was interesting, um, but I, you know, I thought, you know, it wasn't for me, you know, I'll sort of get back to the UK. So, you know, I came back to the UK and, I, and, and, you know, I realized that there's more to life than just medicine and, and eye operations. So of course you're, you're, you're a dad as well and a uh, husband and, uh, amongst the other hats that you wear. So what does the future hold? You've done so much in your past, but looking forward, what's, what's coming up for you? 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It, 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 it really is. I think uh, for me at the moment, it's, it's just enjoying this adventure of, of uh, potential. And um, I quite like broadcasting and I, and I quite like uh, stories. And um, I think, I, you know, I'd like to celebrate my story. I think that's what I'd like to do and maybe a bit of uh, acting maybe or a bit of uh, screen stuff and um, I don't know I, I you know I haven't really planned things out really it, it doesn't sound very impressive at all <laughs> but no, it sounds very interesting yeah I mean I don't know I, I mean you know there's a few things um, that I'm keeping under wraps um, but I think you know I'd love the east and west you know ways of of, of delivering healthcare and you know the whole, um, you know, sort of spiritual and sort of uh, physical and metaphysical ways of healing. You know, I'm quite interested in that. And then um, I've really gone into um, psychoanalysis and you know looking at myths and and dreams and um, fantasies and you know how how that can affect mental health and. Um, so I've been really interested in that over the years, and um, yeah, um, you know, the clients that I see um, tend to be very depressed and you know in high states of anxiety. And um, when we have a kind of uh, a dialogue therapy session, um, you know, kind of a dialogical uh, therapy session, you know, talking about all sorts of weird and wonderful things, you know, they seem to get better. So there's some kind of utility in that so yeah let's see what happens i'm open fantastic well perhaps we'll have to do a, a part two later on to see what the future holds <laughs> yeah yeah you know you know a bit more clean living and and uh, pleasing myself rather than other other things and people so I was just going to ask you there, but that was quite a good summary, really, because uh, I was going to say to you, you know, just off the, the top of your head, if you had to give some advice to like the young man that you were when you were sort of just starting out, what would you like to have known then, what you know now? I think, um, you know, three things really is, you know, not, not, not to take it so seriously. You know, I, I, I took life way too seriously. Um, so that would be the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, to, you know, to find a mentor. Um, or someone that you look up to or someone that you want to aspire to uh, and reach out to them and, you know, see how they did it. Um, and thirdly, read a bit like sort of outside your your interests, you know, whatever, you know, is different or you've never thought about or, you know, just out there wacky, absurd. Yeah, look into it. I think, you know, that will uh, open up your horizons. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for that. We really appreciate it because I know you're very, very busy. You've got lots of things uh, going on. So I really appreciate your time with us today, Hayda. And uh, so hopefully it will go very well for you for the future. And uh, we haven't even touched on the year of COVID. So we've definitely got a second appointment coming up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and um, I, I'd love to have you on the podcast, Surgical Spirit podcast, so I can you know, ask you the questions <laughs> for ah. a change. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm used to being this side of the mic. So, uh, yeah, no, that would be wonderful. Thank you very much for the invitation. So that's it for us today, folks. So thank you so much, Vaheda, for being with us. And uh, how can they get hold of you if anybody wants to know more about you? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, on Twitter, I'm the third eye doc. 
uh, on Instagram, I'm the Third Eye Doctor. My book's called Physician on Fire. You can find it sort of everywhere uh, on the internet. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. And you've got a nice, uh, on Clubhouse as well, a nice bright uh, picture on there as well, (laughs) so easy to find. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you all very much for being with us. And, of course, uh, we will be back with you soon. I'm Linda Sage. This is Learning From Life. We are broadcasting from East Leeds FM based in uh, Chapel Arts Centre in uh, the east parts of Leeds, in case you're not in the UK. And the great thing is, whenever the, with the podcast, you can go back and you can listen to them over and over again because there was millions, literally millions of golden nuggets in this conversation. So I hope you enjoyed the the time with us and uh, as usual, we will be back soon. But for now, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself and uh, we will be back very soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded in conjunction with the Chapel FM Art Centre and East Leeds FM radio station. For more information about them and all the good work that they do is www.elfm.co.uk And to know more about what Linda Sage is doing, her website is www.lindasage.com Also on all the other social medias.